0: Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Future developments that will change political strategies are always on the horizon, but not always unpredictable. In this podcast, Mark Begich sits down with Jeff Burr and Drew Littman to foreshadow wild card issues that would deeply impact domestic politics in 2020, should they become a reality. From a deep third-party run in the presidential race to a government shutdown or Supreme Court vacancy, they describe the impact and likelihood of game-changing political events.
1: Hello, this is Mark Baggage. Uh, I'm here with some great colleagues of mine, Jeff Burr and Drew Lippman, here at another Brownstein podcast we're doing. And uh, today it's an interesting subject matter. We're going to do a little... A little bit of a wild card on politics of what's going on uh, around not only Washington, D.C., but around this country, because there's a lot of interesting things that are happening that could impact uh, elections, presidential politics, the politics of our offices, of the sense of what's going on in the House and Senate. Uh, So let's just kind of start with the first one the presidential race. So it's kind of an elimination process going on on the Democratic side. They keep raising the bar, Mm -hmm. less people participate in debates. But at the same time, there's rumblings. Uh, I forget which which billionaire I just saw that was being uh, talked about for a third party. Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg was one, but there was another one too. Bob Iger, Disney CEO. Yeah. So there's some interesting dynamics going on. What what do you think – and then we have this Andrew Yang who's just like come out of nowhere, uh, giving everyone uh, a check. Yeah, uh, you know I'm from Alaska, so you know we give you a used check. To that, right? and we right. give that, so we kind of like that kind of momentum. But <laughs> what do we think? Uh, let me start with uh, Drew because it's the Democrats that are
2: kind of yeah. holding the limelight right now. Yeah. Well, the Yang phenomenon is an interesting one. I think that in every cycle. There can be some oddball, especially a few months out still from the very first caucus in Iowa in February, some oddball who gets two, three, four, even five percent. So I don't necessarily read much into Yang. I have nightmares about Tulsi Gabbard who just announced that she is not running for re-election. Right. Now, Hillary Clinton may have overstated the case slightly when she said that Gabbard was a a Russian plant, but – If you go back and look at the 2016 election results, one of the most striking things, just in terms of the gross numbers, is that Trump and Clinton combined to just get 94 percent of the vote. Six percent went to third-party candidates. That's four times as much as the share that third-party candidates got in 2012. So Trump wins, flips three states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin by a total of 77,774 votes. He has this down to the T. Out of of, of 13.4 million votes cast in those three states. And if you look at just one of them, for example, Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, uh, Trump beat Clinton by 23,000 votes. Gary Johnson alone, just one of the third-party candidates, got something like 107,000 votes. That's four times Trump's margin of victory in the state. And he wasn't the only third-party candidate. So you get a Tulsi Gabbard there who frankly is already a lot more famous than Jill Stein or Gary Johnson or any of those guys. She has a big fundraising base and she does have the entire Russian state apparatus (laughs) supporting her. So so that could wreak havoc with the election. From a Democrat's point of view, this terrifies me. Well, you look at it.
0: I agree that community of that 6 percent is really what's going to determine the outcome most likely and what what is almost certainly going to be a very close race. Um, I think there's a theory in the Trump political operation uh, that there's a community out there in the Republican side that didn't vote for the president because they thought it would be the end of the world Mm -hmm. and that the economy has been as strong as it's been. Setting aside all of the other salacious things going on, that the economy has been as, as strong as it's been, those people are going to come home to Trump. Now, I don't know if that theory holds water, but that's what they're holding out hope for because I, you know they, the president kind of won electoral college-wise on a, you know, hitting an inside straight and he has to hit that same inside straight again. He only has one pathway. There's not multiple pathways.
2: Actually, it's a little harder even for the president this time around because um, with just four years of demographic change— Working-class white voters constitute a slightly smaller share of the population. So if he captures the same percentage of them, performs the same way among all groups, he'd lose. Mm -hmm. He actually needs to either pick up more of those voters or eat into the Democrats' advantage with some other – Set of voters even harder to draw the inside straight this time.
0: Yep, and he—you he, you run Trump against generic unnamed Democrat, and he gets crushed. But unfortunately for the Democrats, they have to pick a human being. That's right. And That's right. Voters in my mind vote pretty much on personality and who they'd like to have a beer with. If you look at every election for as long as you can think back, the person you'd rather have a beer with, or most people would, has won over the economy, over foreign policy, right. over name it. And so, would the Americans rather have a beer with Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren? I think Trump
1: would take that bet.
2: You're saying Tulsi Gabbard is going to be president.
1: Things, yeah. <laughs> so, do we think you know we're, the, these debates are kind of interesting because it's kind of a, a process of elimination? There's some that are still kind of hanging in there. You know, you see Amy Klobuchar just kind of hanging tough and kind of trying to get that midwestern component. Mayor Pete Pete Buttigieg is hanging in there still. Some others, Ben and others, are still hanging in there. But now they're continuing to raise the, the the bar. Is that process or do you think the debate itself is going to create some new dynamics? Because if you go back to the first debate, Harris was moving, mm-hmm. moving fast. Now she's having a tough time hitting the bar again. So I'm wondering what the dynamics of this next debate will be and the debates in the future. Do you think there will be anything dramatic that will suddenly shift the deck again? Because I think a couple months ago people thought Harris was – Going to be the big competitor, and then here's Elizabeth Warren slowly moving up, and a couple others. What what do you think? Well, um, I mean, are they? Do
2: they matter? I guess. I think they definitely matter. I think Biden's numbers have been pretty steady, or they might dip somewhat in the immediate aftermath of a debate, and then they rebound anyway. So I think as long as he seems generally acceptable, he doesn't have to overperform. He's in pretty good. Trevor you need to just come out of it. Warren is a great debater, super yeah. skilled, but the market may already be pricing her for that. You know, the market's taken it into account. We have had several debates. Everybody knows she's a great debater. Sanders is going nowhere anyway, although he's raising an incredible amount of money. But going nowhere. Buttigieg, I'm deeply skeptical. Um, I'm a big fan of Cory Booker's. I'd love to see him rise. I think he should be doing better. Um, his, his debate performance has been terrific. His numbers haven't risen. Somehow, the public doesn't catch on uh, with
1: him. They they like him for who if they know him, and then it's kind of like he's, he's I, a he little is, too positive. He has, a, he
2: has right. an
0: authenticity issue. Yeah. He, he do, it just perceiving him from the outside, he just it feels inauthentic. I am a little surprised he hasn't done better. I, I am surprised at how well Elizabeth Warren has done. Yeah, um, and I think that she would just have a really hard time against Trump.
1: So, what do we think? You know, the news it seems every day now, new pieces to this impeachment or maybe impeachment or the process is all kind of evolving. There's show and tell going on with, you know, Republicans uh, storming the doors. Uh, You have statements by uh, some Democrats that are pretty out there regarding the issue. How does this play into two areas? One is congressional people tell you, oh, we're getting things done. But then when you try to figure it out, the only thing they've done is, for example, another extension for the budget. You know, potential shutdown. Big legislation isn't moving. Little pieces here and there. But is this just going to dominate everything now and the, dominate impact to the presidential race and the ability? For people to get things done in the sense of legislative priorities. Oh yeah, it's going to crush the legislative agenda. Absolutely, I think
0: that. Do you think we're already there? Oh yeah, I think we're, we're going to do everything we can to keep the government open and do almost nothing else. But I think the importance of impeachment is not that it's changing people's minds. In my view, when I get outside the beltway and talk to Republicans and Democrats, everybody's still in their camps in impeachment, uh-huh. and no one's really crossing over. How it's important in my view is if it drives turnout, if, if it gets people to vote that weren't going to otherwise vote, that changes things. But I don't think there's a lot of persuadable voters out there. I think it's more about if it drives interest and drives turnout.
1: Because because there hasn't been, you know, some will say, "Oh, see, there's a silver bullet." On they name some such, but it, it seems like there's not a dramatic thing. You know, I remember as a kid watching the, you know, watching and rewatching later in life the Nixon activity and when Dean. Spoke and you know suddenly you go now that's it's over <laughs> you know that was that was like the moment
2: I'm not sure that's there or maybe we're immune. Well, I think voters voters are mostly dug in. I mean, I agree with both of you fellows. People know how they're going to vote or if they would turn out to vote, they know who they'd vote for. But I think we're talking about an election that could again be decided by fractions of a percentage. So in if, certain states and and therefore right? nationally, yeah, if. Trump loses a little support among you know, white women who don't have college degrees, game over. I think where impeachment might be most significant in the presidential election is not in terms of what it tells us about Trump. I, th- I think I agree with Jeff on that, but on how he reacts to it on a day-to-day basis and how he behaves because of it. You'll recall, Mark, I, I was I was staffing Boxer for some of the early Whitewater hearings, and, right. and you'll recall that episode. Clinton White House bifurcated uh, its functions during impeachment. The staff dealt <laughs> with impeachment. Clinton dealt with the rest of the work of the presidency, including legislating, including negotiating. He never talked about Whitewater. He didn't talk about impeachment. Never. Right. That was a staff problem. That was a surrogate problem. No matter how much it hurt him personally. That's just not Trump. I mean, there's no point arguing no, it's all, about it. It's not, all combined right now. It's all flowing. It's all combined. In. He never had a feel for the legislative stuff anyway, really. Uh, Clinton right. did. Right. You know, He had been a governor before he was right. president. He liked doing that. It's not Trump's thing. So, so to him, it's all personal. I think where you will feel maybe the most distinct political effect, election effect from impeachment is that you have um, a, a bunch of Republicans in the Senate who, who were likely to have very tough races. Cory Gardner elected with 58 percent of the vote. Tom Tillis, we're North Carolina. We're building a wall around Colorado. He's protected. Uh, we're <laughs> building a wall between Colorado and New Mexico. Tom Tillis, North Carolina, 49 percent. Martha McSally lost her Senate race. She got 47 percent and then was appointed to Senator McCain's seat. Susan Collins has had a big drop in favorable ratings, uh, the biggest of any senator. One from of the, the last of
1: Republicans in the
2: Northeast. One of the last Republicans in the Northeast. Generally pro-choice but voted for Brett Kavanaugh, running against the the, uh, main speaker of the House, also female who raised raised 50 percent more money than her in the last quarter. And Joni Ernst, who's also had a favorability drop-off from quarter to quarter and is also being outraced by her likely Democratic opponent. I think impeachment, when it gets to the Senate, puts them on the spot. And I think that's part of the reason why the majority leader, Senator McConnell, said so quickly we're going to have a trial. Because he knows something is going to have to be done with these folks, even if even if no one knows what it is. Maybe if if McConnell thinks he has the votes, maybe he frees some of them to vote to oust Trump. I'm not saying likely,
0: but possible. uh, That that's going to be an interesting issue because there's there's, the president's not getting uh, impeached by the Senate, or they're not going to uh, adopt the impeachment resolution that comes over from the House because the 67 vote threshold is just too high. I agree with you that it could be. Fifty-five, fifty-eight, I think they could get there. Which 60. is damaging in its Well, that's, way, that was right? the point I was going to make yeah. is that that would be – that could change some minds. If, if, if Americans see that you have something like eight or ten Republicans in the Senate voting uh, to impeach the president, right. that that is really damaging. But what I suspect will happen is that they will – McConnell, who is pretty masterful at hand, handling these sorts of things, is going to create a procedural vote – That is not on the actual substance of impeachment, but on some sort of procedural issue that will um, give these people a pass to hide behind that, and it will be a straight party line vote.
1: Okay, Let me um, shift gears because this is an always – never-ending process. Is the government going to shut down? When will it shut down? Will it not shut down? How many more days do we get to breathe uh, some air of uh, stability? Uh, I think we're now – somewhere in November, they'll – have a date that I think it's 21st or something that then the, the next shutdown may or may not. Do you think we're in danger of that? And do you I think don't. That would legisl- I
0: think I was at uh, in, in the administration for the longest shutdown in history. Um, it was miserable. Um, yeah. It was impossible to get things done. We were incredibly short-staffed. Um, people weren't getting paid and some of the younger folks on our team, um, that was – pretty acutely painful. Uh, it was not a pleasant time. But in my, in my view, shutdowns, first of all, have become so frequent. Uh, um, but also they just only seem to matter to people in D.C. I don't think anybody outside the Beltway, I don't think it changes a lot of it minds. I think, I think Republicans, a lot of Republicans would just like the government to just be shut down permanently.
2: <laughs> <Right>. So, so <laughs> I, think, I think worth pointing out that fiscal year 2020 actually started on October 1st. A little while back, and it used to be a big deal when you were coming from one know, fiscal year to you, the other. Yeah. You used to have to fund the government completely for a year before the year started. Right. And that's where we are now in the new fiscal year. Democrats and Republicans seem to have reached maybe a level of detente in terms of overall spending levels. And it was overall spending levels that drove a lot of the – uh, a desire to, to shut down the government or, or made it difficult for parties to negotiate. But since there's a truce on the overall spending levels, you're down more to the details, which program gets a little bit more money, which program takes a haircut. That's the kind of thing that, that usually they can work out. I don't remember the government ever shutting down when there was an agreement on what the overall spending levels were going to be. You know, you hear different economic reports on, you know, how the economy is doing. I
1: saw another kind of press activity of the president was as he's going to the helicopter seems that's where the new uh, press conferences are held. And he talked about strong economy, good economy, and it's clear it's the message which the economy is going, the market's up, unemployment's down, inflation is controlled, but you and earnings to some companies are very strong. But you constantly hear this undertone by some that say, "Yes, but," and then they have some commentary on the how right. fragile it is. We what, call that what wi- do we think?
0: That's called wishcasting instead of forecasting. <laughs> and it's just I think in my view, it's people on the left wishing for a bad economy because they know it's the one insurmountable. Do you think thing. the
1: economy will be good through the election? At this point, I mean there's even talk of lowering the interest rates again by a quarter or some.
0: I'm not an economist, but uh, everything seems like … There are
1: 320 million (laughs) economists in this country. Did you not know that? There are. (laughs) They spend Um, every day. (laughs) I I,
0: I think all the indicators are still pretty strong. There certainly could be a recession, but I I think it's unlikely and … I do think that's probably the biggest biggest political risk to the president. I think that – or if I had to look at what I think are the biggest risks to the yeah. president. The other one that comes to mind is if, if um, there was a Supreme Court vacancy because I think that would drive some turnout. I, I think that the social agenda – of the Republican Party right now is a minority position in our country. And so uh, and I'm saying that as a Republican. Yeah. I, I, and so I think that that would be maybe a bridge
1: too far for some people that are more in the middle of the spectrum. Is the, Let's stay on that for a second on the Supreme Court. I mean you have one uh, Supreme Court Justice who has hinted he might at some point, and you have one that has health issues. But do you think that? Do you think they're both kind of saying in their own mind, one stay healthy, one not make the decision, get the presidential race out of the way, and then suddenly fall of next year after election, selling people sort of making some decisions.
2: I think you know Ginsburg hears it all the time because there was a push among some liberal commentators to get her to step down. Actually, during the Obama administration, right, right, uh, you know, take one for the team, essentially. The justices don't tend to see it in the terms that we do. In the political sense. Yeah, they do to some degree. Look, Elena Kagan worked in the White House and, and Brett Kavanaugh. But, but once they, they, they put that they, black really, robe exactly, on, there, they They see it as their career. And if you're working productively every day, as all of them are, as far as I know, you know, you don't – it's hard at 85 say I'm going to stop doing this not going to get hired for a lot of other jobs at 85. Right. It's not like there's an obvious next chapter. So I think all, all – they seldom – David Souter maybe is is a counterexample, but they really generally don't retire.
0: Well, right. I think there's – we've seen it so much in this town, in, in, whether it's senators, members of Congress or Supreme Court justices. I do think there are some of them that feel it more, if they step down after a certain age,
1: they'll die.
2: Robert C. Byrd was only going to go out one way, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I think there is this –
1: And I saw it in the Senate. You know, when you get to this mid-60s, late 60s, you're going to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And once you make that decision, you're a lifer Mm -hmm. or you're out doing other things. You don't do it at 73, 75. Because you're
2: not going to learn to do something
1: else. Right. And plus, you're already in a group. Let me ask just a couple quick ones before we have to close here. So – and I want to touch again back on the economy. So the economy has a tight labor market. But you do see, you know – you see some teacher strikes that have been going on, demanding more resources, more money. You just saw um, GM or autom- automobile workers go on strike, settling. You know, you have a lot of this going on. Do you think there's going to be some cons- – you know, I maybe I'm a conspiracy thinker here that there is this conversation going among labor unions that if you're going to strike, the economy is strong,
2: unemployment's low. Politics are at the peak. Is this the time? That's not a conspiracy theory. That, that, <laughs> to me, that's perfectly logical. It's like looking at a market. Um, you know, if if a hurricane hits Houston, that's a good time to be to have a construction business. It's a good time to be selling building supplies if you operate so a well, Home not Depot. A conspiracy. I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking it logically. That's that's exactly right. This is a favorable time to strike if you're going to strike. But but there are –
0: this president is is unique in that he has some unions that he has good relationships with. Well, that's what I was
2: going to
1: ask. Is there there then a political – Component, you know, you go back to the Reagan era where the Teamsters and other big big yeah, yeah. labor air tra- organizations, air traffic controllers yeah, shifted. Some shifted in the election to Reagan, and then he did the air traffic controllers. Mm-hmm. So, is there, especially in the Midwest, where not only do you have to have a presidential win out of those states, but you also have some Senate races kind of critical? Is is there some crossing here that could occur? Well, I mean, you think about it, the, the, this: White
0: House sent people to Michigan to negotiate on the side of the union, not on the so- side of, of General Motors. I mean, that's pretty indicative. This White House doesn't do a lot of things like that. Right. Um, far so less, saw that. They, they saw the problem. They know that's a state they need. They know that's a union that has a lot of working class whites that probably are favorable towards the president. Right. They they need
1: – In the states that he needs that extra 30,000 votes. Yeah. Well,
2: and, and and we've talked in a couple of different ways about public opinion and how it seems somewhat inelastic now. but But – I remind myself in these conversations, it only really matters in ten states, right? You, I mean, it doesn't matter if if Trump goes up ten points or down ten points in California. Who cares? It, it, it just matters by a couple of points in you know the th- big three that flip: Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and then maybe Florida, North Carolina, Arizona. I mean we might have slightly different views. we probably have mostly the same views. It matters there. It doesn't really – the rest of it doesn't matter. So
0: the one thing that I think could really push America over the edge politically is I think there is a legitimate chance that the president could lose the popular vote by considerably more – than he did last time and still win. And so he, he could there is a five, legitimate he, chance of that. He, could, he could lose by five or six or seven million votes and still win the Electoral College. And I think that would make a lot of people's heads explode.
1: So what's the last question for both of you? We talked about a lot of different issues. But what would be the wild card between now and 2020 election that we have not talked about? Maybe we've talked about them all. No, I've got one but for you. But what's the wild card that could just kind of – Create some havoc. And Jeff, you say you got, you got one.
0: I, I put this at somewhere around like below a 5% chance but not below one.
1: OK. Let me ask before you tell me what it is. Is Is it is it a one item or is it like a 10 explosive?
0: 10 explosive. OK. And what it, it would be is that the president chooses not to run. Oh. I don't think that's totally out of the cards. Um, I think there's a lot of folks that are close to him will tell you that he never intended to uh, win the first time, that they were actually kind of unhappy when he did. Um, he— I think, understands that if he were to leave and pursue what he wants to do with the television network, he would be maybe more powerful than he is now. Yeah. And if he just gets really tired of all this impeachment stuff, I could see that happening. And that would be just a zero gravity situation that I have no idea.
2: What what happens in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, Mark, the one I've been thinking about is the Supreme Court could issue a decision on abortion rights in the next year. Mm. And that could be monumentally significant. Now now Roberts thinks a lot about the integrity of the court as an institution, and he thinks, and I don't mean this in a negative way, he thinks a little bit politically, because that's where the legitimacy comes from in a sense. Mm -hmm. Much like Earl Warren, Republican governor of California, became Chief Justice, knew for Brown versus Board of Ed, he needed a unanimous vote. It wasn't enough for the side he was on to prevail. Everybody had to have the same – sign on to the same opinion. Roberts has some of that characteristic I think. So I would expect that if they're going to limit abortion rights, they will stop short of striking down Roe versus Wade. It will be a decision more like Casey where you find more of the restrictions on abortion rights to be reasonable – Hence, they pass constitutional muster and there's no reason to rethink the constitutionality of abortion itself. But it is possible that they could reverse Roe versus Wade. And, and to me, that's dropping a grenade much like Jeff said. So that, it's a that, <laughs> that's a 10. That's a seismic event yeah, yeah. basically. I, I that, think that could that, swing the election he, of the Democrats. You have people out in the streets, Democrats. And that's why I think Roberts will try not to I agree. explicitly overturn it. It will become much harder to get abortions but he won't overturn Roe. I'm predicting, but if they do overturn Roe, whole new ballgame. See, the only thing I'd add is I think
0: even if they did the the lesser version that you're talking about, might I think, still I, happen. I, I think that would still. I, I just think that there's a large number of Republicans that are quietly pro-choice. You're right,
1: and this they might see as one. Oh, step Well, I've heard, the wrong I've heard that from
2: Republican women over the years, quite and, a and, bit, and it's going up, in which in which. The- President needs in some of these states
1: strongly. Well, again, if if you
2: look at how Congress uh, in 2018, the Democratic wave uh, driven in large part by suburban women. That's right. And those are your Republican or historically Republican, more pro-choice voters. And there's a group
0: of them also that held their nose and voted for the president, but this might be too much for them to take.
2: Yeah. Well this is uh,
1: I, I love that we were able to do the kind of the wild cards for between now and twenty twenty. You know, it will be interesting six months from now if this is the same list right. or if mm-hmm. the list has changed, and then after the election it will be interesting to see what really impacted, which is always hard to tell, but yep. you know, some elections you can pretty much tell what what impacted. So again, to both of you, uh, Jeff and Drew, thank you very much. And on thank behalf you. of Brownstein, you're it's part of our effort to inform people of what we're doing, but also our knowledge and You just heard from two great people, two colleagues here that clearly understand the dynamics of politics that are happening every minute here in Washington. Thank you all. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite
2: podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.